Welcome to another episode of The Sebastian Show. Today we have Coach Tim Adams on. It's a really exciting podcast. We're talking about everything from mitochondrial function to somatic release and what you can do to get back in your body. I think you'll enjoy it. I look forward to getting your feedback. getting to know you last week and uh, I echoed a lot of, of what you were sharing with me was there's c- certain people you talk to and you just feel an immediate resonance with yes. and so I was so excited to have you on today because I felt that way immediately like there's an energetic resonance Absolutely. and I love the work you're doing I think it's really important right now and I think we have a what I would say a new generation of specialists coming on board to help humanity shift or rise consciousness it's going to be doing a deeper work where we're we talked about this some but it's it's incorporating a spiritual technology where we're bringing the spiritual realm and science together, where they're coming back together. And I thought your story was such a great uh, example of this. So I want to get into it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you're, and you, you, you focused on in your training, you, you said the word a speed trainer. Yeah. Which is interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this later but what it, like I didn't realize that y- you could get hired to just teach people speed now I would get why right speed yeah, and strength yeah, are both yeah. really important but right. like that's a that's a super interesting very niche it, it, it is niche like it, but my field has been super niche like I've made a living off of really a market that's only 1500 people like I, I for 30 plus years that's the only group I have served yeah. 1,500 people, right? <laughs> just, just and, and it's very unique to think about. Yeah, it really is, especially when you think about, like, well, there's scarcity and, and all that, but the reality is, is, like, I've I've never, like, thought of that there was competition in, in having only 1,500 people to serve. Yeah. And um, anyway, but speed was, was funny because um, – I kind of cut my teeth in coaching at the Air Force Academy. I was mm-hmm. it was my alma mater, and I had the opportunity to play a couple years of football, and then I tore up my knee. But tearing up my knee is how I actually got into coaching. Mm-hmm. And and when it started, I was running from. Um, I, I had tore my knee up as a freshman, and and I was in a squadron that was uh, it was called Attrition Two Six, and they prided themselves on on getting all the freshmen to leave <laughs> and, Attrition. and and they hated athletes and and I was one of only a, a, a handful of guys that were was an athlete in the squadron and so they zeroed in on me and when I got cut I was like free bait to them like they just had a heyday <laughs> with me I didn't sleep for months at that point and I it created this disdain for the academy mm-hmm. at that time but I'll come back to that later but but what happened was I was like I needed an escape so I I went to I was pretty good in the weight room I I, I was good just naturally at uh, Olympic lifting cleans and jerks mm-hmm. and snatches and and so I asked the strength coach I was like hey can I come be an assistant coach and they were like what <laughs> so they thought about it and the next day they were like yeah I think we could make a position for you and so I started helping out so I I I created a little wiggle room for me and and that's kind of when I started and and i at that time too i started competing and so i would go down uh, my strength coach helped me significantly a a guy named kim goss and he was phenomenal and i also went down to the u.s olympic training center and dragon their sister and was the head olympic coach and so i was 
kind of learning from him as well. Proximity is power. As we go through this, you're yeah. going to see how many time, how much proximity matters. Yes. Right? Big so, time. So and that was in Colorado Springs. That was Colorado Springs. Yep. And so I'm a cadet, and I'm, I'm now learning from the Olympic Training Center's coach. I'm Which at the time was probably the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah and and, and, and w- was he the best in the world? I, you know, that's debatable, but he certainly he's changed. He's on a list, right? Yes, he is, yeah. for sure. And, and so it just allowed me to, every time I learned from somebody that I considered the best, and, and, and interesting enough, that was one of my MOs and I, that I learned in high school was learn from the best. Always. And it took, and I got to say this correctly, it, like it accelerated my ability to coach. Yep. And, and in that, it accelerated the results that I was able to get with, with the, the individuals I was working with. So as a, as a student coach, I was helping our, our players, and, and they were getting better. And so it was just like I, I, f- I had this like capability, if you would, that was a bit natural and yet a bit learned that I started to develop. And then I got married after I graduated to a, uh, a student athlete as well. And she likely like a, story. Yeah. And she was a five time letter earner in multiple colleges. And so then I started helping her teams do things and I didn't know what I was doing. I really was clueless, but I had the opportunity to come back to the Academy to coach. And when I did, I was really, again, really good in the weight room, but I had, I had no knowledge of speed. Like, and, and what, we started to see is that we had our, our athletes were quick. So what is the difference between quick and fast? Cause if you're not an athlete, you're like, well, what's the difference? What's the difference? And I remember yeah. Kobe saying this, he said, he goes, I was fast, but not that fast. Yeah. I was quick, but I wasn't yeah. that quick. Yeah. And he was, he was unpacking his own skill sets. Yeah. So, so quickness is, is really this quality of being able to start and stop and move over a short period of t- distance. Yep. Speed has way more to do with how how fast can you cover a distance in time, and and it would be more related to maybe linear speed where I'm going a hundred yards versus ten yards. So, so one would be more duration, the other one would be more response, or like your. Y- for your um, yeah, so so quick could be reaction time, but reaction it also time, could be how fast can I move over ten yards? And so someone who is powerful is going to be more quick. Got it. And so Olympic lifters are notoriously known for being able to cover ten yards <laughs> in a ridiculous deadly over short time, distances. But you get <laughs> but past endurance. ten, they can't they can't <laughs> right. do it right. <laughs> and then then now you threw in another word in endurance, and endurance is not over like so. For me, endurance is anything over two minutes time frame. And so now we there's a spectrum. There's a what I call a, a continuum. Yep. And and this is a really fascinating point of and, and that I like to play around with is that we as coaches oftentimes compartmentalize what is a continuum. Mm-hmm. And so speed and power gets compartmentalized when in the reality is there there's there's many trains of thought that say, well, you can't do endurance training for power athletes because you're going to decrease the quality of power from that. And, and that's a common belief system. So it is. And, and, and I bought into that for a, a very short period of time of my career. And from a research perspective there, and, and, and this goes back to that many roads to Rome component is that you can find research to prove it, but you can also find research that goes against it. And, and again, I think, 
um, I think, what is that, the Heisenberg? Or the, what's that, the, the, the ability? The quantum physics? Yeah, quantum physics, where, yeah. where you, what, what you intend to yeah. research is what you're going to actually come Correct. up with. So if you're yeah. looking to prove something, you're most likely going to prove it. Because that's what you're f- creating, right? And, and, and what I found was that early in my career, I was like, not going to, like, and I hated endurance like, I could barely, like, we, at the academy, we had to run a mile and a half. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. Even 600 yards for, we had a physical fitness test. We had to run 600 uh, yards. I, maybe it was meters. I can't quite remember. But uh, two times around this 300-yard track. And and it was, like, my kiss of death. Like, I could run 40s all day long. But uh, anything past that was, like, whew, running 100 is tough for me. Oh, I, <laughs> so I, I played soccer and hockey growing up and to qualify for the soccer team, you had to be able to run three miles in yeah. 18 minutes. Oh, and I would, I would always be one of the last guys I'd get under, yeah. but I just, I, it's, it's a running joke in my family. It's all Norwegians, big Viking people, like very strong and, and deadly over short distances, but endurance is just, yeah. I don't run for fun and when, I don't know how to relate to people yeah. and I get, it's clearly a thing. But yeah. there are people who run for fun and they they get a high from yep. it. I've yet to ever find a point <laughs> where I get to the point where I'm high from running. Yeah. It's not yeah. it doesn't that doesn't work for me. And so I played soccer. In soccer, you're running the whole time. Yeah, right? which is fascinating to me because like uh, my uh, my ex was a marathon runner, and so then I started running, and I got to the point where I could run five k's and ten k's, and and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And the funny thing is, it made me faster. Yeah. In a shorter distance. Going back to what you were saying so earlier, now, now the science that you were told that shouldn't have happened. Correct. So and it's like, so well, why? And then, and then this, this even got further expanded as I was on a TV show with one of my NFL players and we were traveling the world um, learning and, and the premise of the show was amazing. And, and, and I love this premise. It was, you learn about the culture of a country by playing the sport of the country. Mm. And so he would go in and we'd have a 10 day block of time and he'd go immerse himself into the sport and then, at the end, he would actually have to compete in the sport. That is so cool. It I was agree, hundred percent. It was amazing, beautiful. So you had to pick up soccer at some point, right? He, that's um, like funny enough, we didn't do soccer. We, so we, so we like did rugby. rugby we cricket. did. Um, that played cricket. Yep. Did uh, hurling. Um, Canadian. Pilata. Uh, we didn't do any. I, we didn't do can- Canada. Um, what, who does hurling? Oh, that would be Ireland. Oh, oh, yep. What are we talking about? Yes. Yeah. I was thinking curling. Curling. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, no, yeah. hurling. Yeah. So it's almost like uh, lacrosse with a with a uh, field hockey stick. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then he did like swinging, which was in Germany. Swinging? It's uh, wrestling. It's like, a, it's like a form of wrestling. It's really huh. an old school sport, if okay. you would. Um, Muay Thai, yep. Prada Saray in yep. Cambodia. Okay. Which is Muay like Muay Thai. Muay Thai. Okay. Um, Li- dragon boat racing in Singapore, yes. uh, surf life saving in in Australia. Um, anyway, that what, a, what a cool premise! I love was, that. You're amazing. right. You learn a lot about the culture by their sports. But every sport had a different metabolic uh, um, architect archetype to it, and and so, so was a part of your work to help them prepare for these. Was, so my my job was to keep them safe. Yeah, because so, this was. This was he we still did this playing at the he time? Still playing. Oh, I can't believe they let him. Well, <laughs> that's it was because he was playing for a certain team that they were pretty loose with Got that. It. And, and he Got was it. fortunate. And, and so my job was to keep him healthy. But then the other part was to prepare him for the season. And so I found myself in this really odd, like, oh, he's doing all this endurance work. And I'm going, oh, I'm fr- you know, frustrated about it. And yet I started to see he was getting faster. And I'm like, 
oh, there's something to this. And so then I, and then I started doing more research and going back to some of the, the speed coaches I had learned from and started breaking down their, their protocols and going, oh, you know, it's a continuum for a reason. And, and having the mitochondrial density and proliferation is actually going to benefit your capacity yep. to, to have an input of high-intensity power output, which then, if you can produce that over time, will make you faster. But, and that makes sense to me. And yeah. I, think, I think, and again, this isn't my, my, my area of expertise, but I can logically get my head around what you're saying. And what I hear is there's likely an inflection point, whereas if you're naturally a speed athlete, um, endurance will help you until it doesn't. Correct. Right, where like you'll see like Absolutely. endurance athletes, yep. they be they go a different direction. Like people do marathons for a living, I can point them out. Yep. You can just see it in their body yeah. structure symmetry. Yeah. So it probably gets to a point where it works against you. But yeah. for most, there's a lot of gain yeah. before they hit that point. Correct. Yeah, and and I want to be super clear. I am not training them in an endurance component. I am adding an endurance component in a stressed environment over the course of their programmed. To increase mitochondrial, mitochondrial density, density and yeah, proliferation. Hundred percent. That so makes sense. And and it's you don't need much. How much? Back in the day or to this day, do you? How much do you pay attention to VO two max and all of this? I, I think well. So now this is that's the other point. So I te- did a bunch Atiyah of testing the, when I was at the Olympic Training Center. Yep. And while I was at the Air Force Academy, like we tested VO two max, and it was critical. And I got into it personally because I love mountain biking, and yep. I was like. At a, at a place where I just started, again, running the 5K, 10Ks, and then mountain biking, it became a really important thing because my my lactate threshold was through the roof, but my mm-hmm. VO2 max wasn't as big as it, as I wanted it to be. And and then through training, I actually improved it significantly. So How? By doing... By by doing a different set of work than I had been accustomed to. To change your protocol right. and... With the intent to increase your VO2 max. Yeah. Because this, and, and this has always been a struggle more. for me. And, I, and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. And one of the things I found out early, I picked up a very bad habit of anytime I'm under strain, I hold my breath. Yeah. Right? And, it would, and I realized, like, what am I doing? And so I had to learn how to commit to breathing correctly. And that helped massively. Massively. Um, I just didn't realize how bad my breathing practice was. And, and I, I'm probably very similar to you because, like, when I used to run in high school and like I literally couldn't run a mile. Like I couldn't yeah, make I, it. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> I did it, but I hated it. And I would always start out. I would just start out. Boom! I just <laughs> run fast, and next thing you know, I'm like, can, couldn't ever get the steady state. That sounds very familiar. And so, what happened was when I started running with my ex, I would go. I would start out, and and I learned this from when I started actually learning the the science behind it. Is if you go past your steady state too quick. Your ability to recover to get into steady state is diminished. 100%. And so if you actually start slow, you give yourself an opportunity to go longer. And then and then you start to, to allow yourself to build what needs to be built to then come out a little more rapidly later. So I figured this that out doing HIIT workouts. Yep. Because that I would, in the beginning... I would just go yeah. as hard as I could, oh. right? And the coaches would just laugh. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, here he goes. Mm-hmm. And I would fry myself yep. out, and I couldn't get through the bloody workouts. I was exactly. puking halfway yep. through. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell? And then the other guys, 
that don't look as fit as me are just like, and they're, they're, it's not like they're not pushing themselves. So I learned like, oh, I got to find my zone first before I go super yeah. hard. And once I learned how to do that, I could go harder for longer. Yeah. And, and, and this brings up a really interesting point that I learned from working with these pro guys where I'm trying to save my energy. Conservation. Con conservation. Thank you. Yep. Woof. Conservation you. of energy that, that these pro guys would would put in as little effort as possible to just make it through the practice. And, and, and I, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm not, but it's, it's an adaptation to the environment in which they're in. Yep. So, so there's this thing of when you are training with the team, it's how little can I put in to make it through whatever I have to endure to just, check it off the list. I would put them through hell. Yep. Like they would work harder than they've ever worked before. And then when it came time for a training camp, they'd be like, this is the easy. easiest training camp I've ever been to. Yep. And I'm like, well, of course it is. And then, so you're pushing them. So, so when they get into training camp, it's easy, but what's your protocol like football, which ironically I made fun of growing up and I was massive, a hockey fan and soccer fan. And now Football is by far my favorite sport. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah. And I absolutely love the sport. I'm a huge Seahawks fan. But so it's a brutal sport, yeah. right? 18-week season now. Yeah. And I get why. And they only play once a week. So what would your protocol be in season? Yeah. Right? So is it, are, you, are, you, are you more focused on recovery? How do, you keep, how do you keep yourself in shape and also recovering between crazy games? Yeah. So... I, I again, I take a completely different perspective on this than most of my peers, and that is my goal is to make it out of the season better than I came into the season. <laughs> That's an insane statement. It is. I, mean, I love it. But yeah. I, I mean, I, I as a trainer, I'm sure your your clients love hearing that. But yeah. So so then, and I and I I condition them to to have that mindset. While working with me. Well, that's how you build the championship team because you've exactly. got to go all the way to the Super Bowl. And, and so, so you want to be at your peak going into the Super Bowl, the not like. So you you nail it, and 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 it's and it's all predicated on how can you stay healthy. Yeah. And the goal of the season is I'm doing everything I can to care for this body because the body for all pro athletes the body is their money maker. Yep. Like there are components to the mind that. Allow 100%. them to yep. create that separation, but if their body's not healthy, they're not on the field. Yeah, and if they're not, and, on and the they field, know they have a, a lifespan yep. where they can compete at a high level, and, and especially for football, it's a lot shorter than say baseball. Well, and so you really have to get the most out yeah, of it. The average, the average career of an NFL player is it's like three years. It's it's two point seven years 2. now. Two point seven. Wow. Ten, twenty years ago it was three point seven years. Wow. One year, so it's getting worse, right? Yeah. And my average of the clients I work with is 10 years. Like they, they play for 10 years. And the reason is because I teach them how to take care of their body. Yep. And, and I teach them to think differently about why they're doing what they're doing and where do they need to be in conservation and where do they need to step on the gas. And it's a different game. When, they can, when you can understand the game becomes different, then, then it's actually, it kind of becomes this play for them, right? It's a game of within a game, if you will. And so the, the key for me is keeping them healthy and then 
stressing them in a positive way in the moments and times throughout the week that I can to get as much as I can so that they're still prepared on Sunday or Thursday yep. to to perform. What what is the math that goes into that? Like as a you're obviously dealing with professionals and 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 I know you worked with the Broncos, you yep. worked with the Raiders, yep. you helped the Kings get to their Stanley Cup, which was yep. pretty incredible. But what is the math that goes into because I mean a lot of it you, you really have to get to know your player, right? And trust their feedback. Yep. Or how do you know when you're pushing somebody enough or not yep. hard enough? Oh, now that, that that leads us down to this place, and I, I'm really glad you bring it up because something that you're very um, interested in is awareness. Mm-hmm. And for me, th- like I I've joked that for 30 years I've been a wearable. Mm-hmm. I'm the me- <laughs> I am the measuring device for my clients, <laughs> and I have I've had I like this. How you said that, yeah. I've had this uncanny ability to to know where my client is, not only in space and time, but how they're feeling in relationship to the stress that they have received yesterday, a week ago, today. That's incredible. So would you say that it's an energetic read or an intuitive read? Yeah, that's so great. Yes, and it's also like human behavior Okay. Of, of, of of really recognizing the cues of, of how Years of experience accumulating data on seeing uh, how people behave with particular injuries yep. or and states of mind or yeah, physical. And, 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 and being able to, to get a, a feel and know of a guy comes in and he's tired and go, yeah, he's, f- he's, he's tired not because of the stress that we've put him through. He's tired because of outside circumstances, lifestyle typically. And, and I just need to test him to see where he's at physiologically, neurologically to see, can I push him today? And funny enough, oftentimes when they come in in that state, they PR that day. Hmm. And, and most people would have said, yeah, take the day off. And that was a day lost in their training. And my goal is how can I compress the adaptation cycle? Because I want to create, I want to, I want to create this environment where, in most people will only have a certain amount of stress per week. I want to double it. Yep. And if I can double it by the end of the year, that's why they can end the season better off than they started because I have compressed their adaptation cycle so that the stress in a season isn't what it used to be. It, yeah. Is that making sense? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I love this. So, uh, and there was a, I forget his last name. Maybe you remember. He was a running back for the Jaguars. Him and Mojo played together. Um, Frank Barnett. No, or Frank. Uh, I can't remember his last name, but I remember him talking about early in his career, he dealt with injury after injury after injury, and that was part of like the the knock against him. Yeah. And he realized, and he got a trainer that really held him accountable this, but he realized a lot of it was his lifestyle, his diet, yeah. things that he was doing outside of the NFL that was causing that. And so he got really serious about it. And I think at the end of his career, he had a, a reputation of being the exact opposite. He was healthy, stayed on the field a lot longer. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't remember his last yeah, name. Yeah, and, and that's, so it's a funny, so this is a funny thing about the youth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Youthful, youthful exuberance. Exactly. And they, they come in and they think that they're invincible. And they don't think that they have to learn how to care for themselves. 
and they they buy into the lifestyle of I've got more money than I know what to do with. Yep. I've got more time than I know what to do with. I can have access to all of these clubs, all of these women, all of this like and you need you need a good mentor or coach at that point to help you. DK Metcalf, if you are listening to this podcast, <laughs> I need you to stop eating the freaking candy, bro. Yeah. He's, the guy looks like Batman. He's absolutely shredded. Oh, he's, he's a specimen, specimen of a human being. But he eats, at least from social media posts, all he eats is sugar. Yeah. I'm like, what are you even doing? Yeah. Um, which I guess if you're burning so many calories, maybe it has a, it's not as. Yeah, there's, there's, there's that. But there, like, there's certainly this piece of when. We need when him they, to stay healthy, though. They <laughs> learn how to become a pro. Yeah. They learn to make better choices. Yeah. And then instead of going out, they're getting sleep. And next thing you know, they're actually feeling better. And then when they feel better, they're performing better. Weird. Yeah. And it's, and it's, so then this gets to be why that 2.7 years is 2.7 years. Cause these kids go out and they think they're invincible. And next thing you know, by the time they realize, and I, I talk about this concept called compensation and compensation is, is a form of adaptation to yeah. what's happening and that your body is going to compensate to a point until it can't. Until it can't. Yeah. And that's when traumatic injuries happen. Totally. And so we, our body tightens, our body, you lose range of motion, you lose a step. And then next thing you know, by the time you recognize that you're in severe compensation, it might be too late. And, and I've described it this way. You're, I mean, I, as, a, you know, as a performance coach myself, I don't work with too many athletes, um, mostly executives. And a lot of it is they get to a certain level. And then they top out because they they hit a glass ceiling and they want to go to the next level. And one of the things that's holding them back more often than not is lifestyle stuff, which makes my job easy because there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there right. where I can get a lot more out of them by just tweaking that. But getting back to what you were saying, I explained it this way, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. A lot of what we attribute to age and aging, where people say, oh, I'm just getting older or that's age, to me it's this idea of compensation where – we have this performance vehicle. I could say it's like driving a Ferrari, but you don't really know how to drive it. You drive it hard. You don't take care of it. It will compensate for a while, but either through chronic or acute stress, it eventually begins to break down. And then we go, well, it's just wearing out. It was yep. like, no, if you would have taken care of it, or if you take care of it, it will last a lot longer. So when I hear this, I think about this as an age-related thing where a lot of the things that we attribute to ages, I'm not saying age isn't real, it is. Yeah. But a lot of what we attribute to aging has more to do with just not taking care of the vehicle, the meat suit, right? And there's, I think, chronic and acute situations there where it builds and then it breaks, starts to break down over time. And when we're young, we think, oh, we can get away with this because we don't feel it. And then one day, yep. bam, we do, yeah. which is why running backs like, what, 28, I think is 28, 29 is normally when uh, most of them start breaking down. And, and, and that's not just running backs. It's a lot of other positions on the field. And so, th like, th this is a really fascinating, to me, this is fascinating because it, it's, it's really speaking to the mentality of, of the human. And, and, and what I mean by that is I find with, with these executives that I work with as well and the, the non-athlete individuals as well as the athletes is they buy into this belief that they're working really hard. Mm -hmm. That they're doing <laughs> the right things because they're, you know, today in today's age, they're doing all these biohacking mechanisms. I'm doing, you know, the cold therapy, the hot yep. therapy, the pulse electromagnetic therapy and, and my red light. 
but it's like throwing spaghetti against a wall. They don't really like they don't have the fundamentals in place. Hundred percent. And and that's a that's a piece that I find so fascinating is that there's so many great tools and techniques and modalities and supplements out there for you to utilize. And and you there's so many supplements to increase mitochondria. Mm-hmm. So many. You stop taking the supplement, and what happens to the mitochondria? Yeah, they d- it they disappears. D- yeah, it's not sustainable. But you go out and you train your body to create it. It's going to stay way longer than if you you just take something. And and for me, I I just think it, there's this piece that a lot of people are missing is the foundational work required. So this is part of my practice. I want there's a few things I want to touch on here, but. Part of my practice is like I love nootropics. Yeah, me too. I love um, biohacking. Yeah. I learn like maximize my body. But then when Absolutely. people usually come to me and they're like, "Hey, what's something I can do?" I talk about sleep and yeah. diet and yeah. exercise, the fundamentals, and they're like, "That's boring." And I'm like, "No." To your point, if you don't get those things right, yeah. all you're doing is using all of these biohacks to compensate band-aid. for not. Yeah, it's a band aid, mm-hmm. and it and a band aid on something that may need more than that in the future. Exactly. So it's like I'd rather use nootropics after I've maximized on my sleep, my diet, my exercise, yeah. and it, then I add those things on top of, not in replacement of. And you'll last a lot longer, and your endurance will be a lot better. But I want to get back to something you said. In your opinion. Because I'm big on mitochondrial function right now and looking at a lot of different things related to that and just the, the little energy batteries in your body. Yeah. Um, what is the number one you thing you think you can do to increase mitochondrial function and density, as you talked about? Okay, so... Two different questions? If they, they are. are. They are two different questions because I'm going to answer the first one. Is how, do you, how do you utilize the mitochondria more effectively? And that is you deal with the tension in your tissue. Like my tension, you mean stress or do you mean like literal, literal tension? Okay. The tightness. The so you want to get Kobe beef like where you're just, yeah, your muscles are super when chill. When you're supple. Supple. That's what and, I was and, looking and, for. And, and, and I, 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 I use this as a test. Like you, if your bicep, your arm is relaxed and you push on your bicep and it's soft and supple, which is what it should be. That's how every muscle in your body should be. But that's not the case. So that's an indication of efficient use. It is if you're in if you if every muscle in your body is supple, then you are efficient and aligned, and there are no misalignments in your body because your body has the tensography, if you would, to be able to support your structure supply. Which makes sense. And when you see people who are injury in an injury, and I can think of my own life, it's like those muscles get really they're locking Rigid. down. And then and when they get rigid, you're also expending energy to keep them Correct. in that intensity. And not only are you expending it. So now this gets to the, the <coughs> point that nobody, there's not one person, I've not heard one person talk about this concept. And, and I'm, I, I'm like baffled by it because it's like, it's like the highway. You, you're going down a highway and you, you, you start closing the, the lanes down to one lane. Yep. Well, what happens to all the cars the behind up, it? Yeah. You get backed up for miles. Yep. Miles. And now you're dripping a car through that <laughs> that lane. It's the same thing with the muscles. You might have a, a, like more proliferation of mitochondria in your tissue and that in your cell than anybody else. But if you have tension, your your efficiency of that mitochondria is diminished instantaneously. Understood. And so 
I have this that 11 minute routine I was kind of telling you about like it was developed for injury prevention but what en- it ends up doing is when you so there's this concept of joint segmental stability mm-hmm. and joint segmental stability has to do with your ability to to um, utilize the the joint efficiently because the muscles that are small stabilizing muscles that go across the joint create the compression in the joint to allow it to move functionally but when you have a um uh, a spinal segment that might be twisted rotated or the foramen might be compressed and the nerve root can't get the the signal to the that area then you you create what's called latency Mm -hmm. and and those tiny muscles don't fire at the right time latency means that a muscle that's supposed to fire first in the segment doesn't fire till maybe four or five times the four or fifth Understood. muscle down. Yep. And what happens is your body compensates by allowing the, the large global mobilizing muscles to contract, to compress the joint. So instead and of moving the body, it. you compress the body and now you move like Frankenstein. And you, it, it's so common. You can see it at, like it in for sure in athletics, you can see it really easily. But you walk down this hallway and you can see people that are in severe compensation. Yeah, in your mind, you're probably looking at people and you can just see just oh, by their gait how they're walking. Me, yeah, I believe right? you. And yeah. I'm just like, oh man, that, that, that person is one step away from having a traumatic injury. Those are the guys that bend over to pick up a paper clip and they have a herniated disc. Or they step off a curb and they tear their ACL or, or they step backwards and pop a, an Achilles. Yep. Like that's the rigidity of that tissue diminishes the efficiency of the mitochondria, right? So that would be the first piece. Understood. And if I'm hearing you right. The other thing I'm hearing is that there is some pretty incredible design elements to the body because what, if I'm, if I'm correct, the response is really meant to be a protective one correct. To, to help the joint. It just humans are not conscious of this, and so they continue to try to move without. Yeah, you, and you brought it up. The consciousness, the awareness of it, yeah. we stop so, so it's a funny thing. Pain is a funny thing. Uh, and, and, and like, I don't blame my athletes for this because, you know, as a, as a football player, every time you hit someone, it's like being in a car accident <laughs> yeah. and, and they're playing <laughs> it's crazy. somewhere between 30 to 70 plays a game and they're hitting most of those plays. Yep. So that's like 30, 30 car accidents in, yeah, in a three hour period. How is it that they can even walk the next day? Most right. of them can't. Yep. And so, so like, to overcome that, you have to dissociate from the pain. And and there is a, if you do a PET scan, you do the, uh, the, the neurofeedback of the brain, you'll see that there ends up being a, a wall, a black hole between the, the prefrontal cortex and the rest of the brain because it's trying to eliminate the pain. So that's interesting to me. So it, it creates a, a disassociation or a disconnect in order to deal with pain. So it's a pain mitigation tool. Correct. And pain, if I understand, is in the limbic system, right? Pain it pleasure is a, a, the limb, part of the limbic system? It is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the, a primal, most basic function of the body, And your right? PFC helps in the regulation of that along with your amygdala. And so you're saying when you look at a CAT scan, you can see a literal schism or separation yeah. in order to deal with that. And that's, my understanding, many friends that were in the NFL and just from from very you know popular conversations or relevant conversations, really see cannabis has been one of the ways that NFL players have treated that because it's a 
from a pain standpoint, it helps with mitigation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a slippery slope. I, it, I'm not a huge fan of, of, of cannabis, quite honestly, because it inhibits drive. Right. We and see that over the long haul. Yeah. But it, again, but it does deal with pain. Yeah. I was gonna, I was going to say it's, you know, maybe it's a, it's a sucker. It's not, doesn't have to be a sucker's choice, but I would say you see this with people who've been smoking their whole life. And I have friends that I've known since high school and they've been smoking since high school. And you're like, you can see it over time. It, yeah. It's like they, it does seem yeah. to change. And the cannabinoid system is remarkable because it has direct access to upregulating your parasympathetic nervous system. And the one Which thing I do find, effective. it is. And, and it creates, talk about that tension that I was talking about. It creates an instantaneous relaxation of the yep. entire system. Yep. And, and so from that perspective, yeah, there is some benefit to it. So the, the when I found that I've used it uh, just as sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. two things I have found that if I do I'm not a doctor, I don't play on the internet, do your own research, but I found it mm. um, 2.5 milligrams or less before a workout. Yep. I'll get a little bit more out of my workout. I, it's almost at the point of, I don't, it's like right below detection or just mildly in detection, but I'll be able to pit push myself a little bit more. And then that night, if I do five milligrams um, before bed, I relax and yeah. sleep better at night. And I, I think it is because it has a, a uh, impact on your parents' sympathetic nervous system and yeah. allows you to relax. If I'm Now, those are – the 2.5 for hit is when I'm sore and tired at the end of the yep. week and I'm trying to get through my goals. Sure. And five is if I'm, I'm, I'm more stressed out than normal and I can't get into it. So those aren't, for me, things that I would use all the time. But I like having multiple modalities and multiple different things that I can choose to go to when I want to use them. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 so, like, for me, it would be a last resort. Right, right? like a break and glass situation. Right, because to me, if if you learn how to activate your body, then you, you wouldn't, wouldn't need, need it. it. Yeah. And when you learn how to really, what I call self-care, and truly know how to be aware, listen to your body, and then interact with your body in order to care for your body, then the funny thing is you stop needing the opioids. You stop needing, like, uh, at 25 years old, I had had just got hit by a car on a bike and had just ruined my second graph for my ACL. And the doc was like, you need a knee replacement at 25. And I'm like, "Ah, no, thank you. (laughs) I'm going to try to figure this out on my own. And that kind of is what led me into this this world of, of tissue work and, you know, taking care of the body and, and resetting the system to the point where, like, I'm, I've had five knee surgeries. I am bone on bone. I haven't had an ACL for over 37 years. Wow. And I've got, like, 20% of my meniscus left. And I can still skip. I can run to an extent, but my knee will blow up just because of the bone on bone structure. But if you saw me move you'd have no idea that my knee was that pathological. Yeah. And I believe that it's so functional because I do that. I activate my knee daily. I, I take care of that joint segmental stability of that joint and the joints above and below it to be able to function, right? Now, do I spend as much time as I should? No. But I'd spend enough to be where nobody could really tell unless yep. you were looking or you were an expert at it. And you see a lot of, this isn't uncommon. You see people who get really good at their craft. It very often started with a, per, it was a personal solution. Yeah. And I like listening and learning from people in that modality because they, 
they're integrated typically the truths are they're not it's not a theory to them it's things that they've had to go through yeah. and learn themselves yeah. so i'm with you on that and i my my i didn't realize this until i was in my my mid-20s and i certainly it's it's still a practice how much i disassociated from my body and i almost found this going to sound very weird but i dropped in knowing i was a spirit mm. inhabiting a meat suit yeah. and i found my meat suit annoying yeah like limiting and so it was almost like I, I disrespected it more than I should have. Yep. And it wasn't until I got into my mid-20s that I started, sounds maybe wild to some, started having gratitude for the meat suit. And instead yeah. of abusing it, yeah. started loving it and yeah. appreciating it. And so recovery is, recovery protocols are a really big part of my practice now. But I, I recognize I still have work to like be kind to it, to yeah. not push it harder than I yeah. should. Because especially growing up in a military family, it was just like, Go, 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 yeah. go, go. Like, Well, and, and I would challenge that, too, from the sense of it's not about not pushing it. Totally. It's about what can you do so that when you do push it, it's safe. Well, this is what you were saying. That's what I was asking. I want to come back to it because it's, it's you really you're this this idea that I can take an athlete and make them stronger at the end of the season. At the beginning is just incredible by doing it by creating the right protocols where it's the right kind of stress yes. that makes them stronger not weaker correct yeah so i think that's what i needed to learn for me was just toughen up push through it yeah. and i've gotten a lot better at it but as even, even in our conversation i'm like well i still have a lot to learn here yeah and and it's funny you say that because that mentality and, and like and i've there is and, and again we could talk about like the developmental levels you have to learn how to grind you have to 100%. like it's part of the developmental process yep so much so to the point, though, that you have to also learn when to stop. Yeah. Le and, and Learn and how to recover. Yes. Right. But it's much easier to teach somebody, I think, to how to recover after pushing themselves than teaching somebody how to push themselves. Correct. Like, I don't, I totally I almost, agree. as a, from a client standpoint, I almost, I, at one point in my life, I was getting, I got asked a lot to, uh, to work as a motivational speaker to motivate people. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not really interested in motivating people. Right. I want to work with people who are already right. motivated and help direct that. Same here. Um, that's much easier Way to direct something in motion than something that is standing still. And, and, and that, and that's why my, and for the last 35 years, that's all I've worked with is the individuals that are already at the top of their game who, who knowing this type of information and knowing how to actually like, program and and periodize the stressors so that it actually benefits you instead of breaks you down yeah and the, and and then the funny thing is is and it's like clockwork i i step in and i can make a shift like that to your system <laughs> and and oftentimes then they use that amount of energy that they have and the increased vitality and virility and vigor to go out and party and it's like right. that's <laughs> not what I'm here for. <laughs> but they're like, I feel so good. I can I can go out and party now. And I'm like, no, that's not what that's we're doing. <laughs> yeah. The allocation of resources. Yeah. So you worked uh you worked in the NFL. Yep. Um with two of the uh the AFC West teams. Seattle yeah. used to be part of the AFC West, used so this be, means yeah. a lot to me. Yeah. And then I remember one of the stories you told me, and I want to get into it and I want to talk about where you are now, but I remember I went to the Stanley Cup the year that the Kings won. Yeah. And, and But I remember the, the, the couple of years leading up to that Stanley Cup, the mummering among Kings fans, especially here in L.A., was, man, we have such a good line. It was really two good lines. Yeah. Arguably the best in the NHL, but they couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. 
right? They were having a hard time staying healthy. And so you were sharing, that's kind of when you got brought on yeah. and you helped correct that. I and I don't know how much you can share and how much you can't share around that. And yeah. But I'd love to hear as you came in, what did you see? What were you paying attention to? What changes did you help make yeah. to the degree in which you can? I yeah, get there's yeah. some things you may not be able to say just based on privacy of the team and then and then they win a stanley cup and i remember because one of the things that came out that year was i don't think there was a single major injury yeah if i remember right or there was it was just it was like a complete opposite of the two years before that so to me that's that's putting your money where your mouth is right in your result and that's a pretty incredible stat so i'd love for you to fill in the blanks and kind of tell that story for me yeah so so yeah you have to remember i came out of the nfl and, and i think the nfl from a a professional sports organization perspective is probably at the top of it. And, and the only other, I think, pro sports that would very much be similar would be like um, premier soccer mm-hmm. or, or football in Europe. Yep. And, and they're Multiple actually, people have told me that. Yeah, and they're actually ahead in terms of the developmental process, in terms of investing in their players and taking care of their players than, than even the NFL is. And even... NBA or whatever, but like just from just from taking care of your your athletes. And there's, I mean, the money that goes into Premier League oh, is insane. Uh, yeah. But I was I grew up playing soccer, played soccer for eleven years, and one of the reasons why I don't know if you you want to say anything about this or not. One of the reasons I fell out of love for it is because the older I got, and I played hockey at the same time, which I think that was the transition. It kills me. I was watching football or you know soccer um, a few months ago when when it was going on is how players will hit the ground and dive. act like they're dying Ugh. on the field I and know. then trot off like the I hero know. when they get the yellow card or the direct yeah. kick. And it literally negged me out to the that. point where I was like, I don't want to play this game anymore. Because yeah. also playing hockey, hockey is the exact opposite. You act exactly. like that when you play hockey, yeah, they're going to laugh at oh you. I'm like, who God. is this guy? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. you're so to see that in soccer, and I think that's kind of where, I think I moved more towards football because yeah. I'm not saying you don't, I don't know. I don't see as many crybabies in football at all. And it's part of it because you were saying you're getting into 30 car accidents a freaking game. Yeah. They're just tougher. And I appreciate that toughness. Yeah. And so I lost respect for soccer as a result of that. Yeah. And I see LeBron's getting, and no disrespect to him because I think he's a phenomenal athlete, but yeah. I see he's getting blown up right now for doing a lot of the same stuff sure. where he's like, oh, right. and like throwing yeah. and to get the call. And I guess yeah. maybe that's part of winning for them is like, it's just part of the game, but it killed me. What's your thoughts on that? Side note, we weren't going to yeah, go there, no, but I'm just curious because you're, it's, it's, you're talking about taking care of players, yeah, and I see that yeah, stuff, yeah. and I'm like, oh. I'm with you on that. Um, I, I do, like, I love soccer. I hate, I. And yeah, me too. And like, I, again, like 11 years, I loved but, it. But funny enough, but I was a switch of you. Like, during high school, I hated soccer. I was like, <laughs> oh, those soccer players are such horses. It was, this, it, was the, it was the, that was it, right? The soccer players didn't like the football yeah, players and right? vice versa. And I was a soccer player yeah. then making fun of the meatheads. So I'm, I'm with you. And, and as I went down this journey of, of sports performance, I, I fell in love with the sport. I think it's such a great sport. And it, it, there's an eloquence to it that's there beautiful. And yeah, I'm with you on that. It's beautiful. It's just, I think it, it's like... There's a lot of talk right now about the NBA and how much time it takes to add the free throws in, and they're like, get rid of it. And it's like, it's just a part of the game, right? So it's become, that part of, of soccer has become part of the game, right? Yep. It's the theatrics of it. I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but it's just part of the game. So I just accept it. <laughs> it makes me laugh yeah, every time. it does. It makes the me laugh, The guy trots off afterwards yeah. like, I'm a hero. Yeah. And get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> but that, they've created, and so now now you talk about culture that's accepted that. Yep. Right? And and that's, and, and it's funny that you brought up LeBron 
basketball, the NBA, is creating a culture that's accepting of that. Well, that's why I got out of basketball when yeah. I was in high school. Because if you just make contact with a guy when he's shooting, it's like, oh, it's a foul. Like, get the fuck out of here. And so, and, and, and now it you kills bring, me. And you bring up, you go back and you look at, like, Old school. Michael, Michael Jordan and I the stopped Pistons. Watch, I stopped watching those after guys, Michael retired. Those guys. Oh, like, I know. Bill take, Ambeer. You go up. You're going. Yeah. Your your yeah. feet leave the ground. You're going to be on the ground. <laughs> right. Like that's that. That was just common Old knowledge. School. Your feet go up off the ground. You will be on the ground. Patrick Ewing. Oh my gosh. Those, those big boys. Yeah. Like it was. It was like different game. It was a different game. And 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 Pat, the way the way Jordan played, I don't remember him. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm glorifying him, but I don't remember him being big on trying to grab the foul unless he made the basket and he yeah. wanted the right the, but it wasn't like oh it was just he played around just players played around, yeah um and that was the reason i i have generally haven't enjoyed basketball either is for right. the same reason yeah. like the and again that's i think i think i found my way into hockey because to me hockey was kind of the best of soccer and football oh, yeah right you get the the violence and the aggression <laughs> and the speed yeah. of yeah. of uh football but then you get the eloquence of soccer right right um yeah. so yeah. But I hear you on that, and I, it kills me because I don't like that part of the game, and it's right. the same reason I don't enjoy a lot of basketball. I like playoff basketball, but I don't like a lot of yeah. basketball for the same reason. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I saw what people LeBron got blown up for uh, in the Denver. Yeah. The guy didn't even make contact with him, and right. he drew the foul, and it was like, what in the world is yeah. happening right now? Yeah. And, and then you get into the point; it's almost like the Tom Brady effect, right? Where like you're, you know, if you take him down, you know, you're going to get penalized for it. Yep. And and, and then it's like, were the you on the Raiders during that time? That no, was after. No, I remember that. The what was it called? The, the um, Snowgate. No, no, it was Snowgate. But what was the? the, the it's the rule to this day. The di- oh, the, the Brady. It's called the Brady rule. The Brady rule, but the. I can't remember what it's called. I don't know. It's not coming to But yes, that yeah. whole thing. The personal fouling of the, of the quarterback. And look, I, I think you should protect the quarterback because they are like, they're the heart of what makes the football. Leadership. Like, yeah. Like, and, and this is, this is the piece of like, you got like, you look at the Dan Marino's, Jim Kelly's, John Elway's, then you look at the like Brett Favre, Brett and, e- Favre. E- and even um, like you. So you separate those two, because I, I would put Brett Favre in the same camp as those other guys. Um, I, the only reason I wouldn't is timing. Oh, okay, that's because he separate. came at a different period. Yeah, the gener- he was the next generation. Next generation. Although they played against each they other. Did. They what ninety seven? They, no, they definitely played yeah. against each other. Yeah, they like Elway finished his career playing against Favre, yep. right? And um, and and I mean, but that's. Look, you stay in the league long enough, you're gonna play against everybody. Right, right? fair enough. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Tom Brady. Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> then wild. now I put. I, then it's that next of uh, Brady and Breeze and and yep. Rogers. Yep. Right. Like, uh, and then you start to look at like where are we at. We got Mayhomes and, and incredible. Yeah. This next it, generation hurts. Hurts and, uh, and Jackson and Big um, Fields is gonna is gonna come on I this year. Too. I like yeah, I like I think him. So. My boy Gino, he's been around for a bit, but I'm excited to yeah, see him. Yeah, yeah, and and they're way more athletic. Way more. Way more athletic. So it's a different game. Yep. And they're and not just pure pocket passers anymore. No. And so you go back to like a Vic, super athletic. Ahead of his time, right? Way athletic. All those guys look up to him. Yep. And so so now you're looking at like, and and we even had this conversation around you know Manning and and like being in that that pocket passer. Who isn't as athletic, but had crazy football intelligence, like some of the best ever. Yeah. Could and be a coach if he wanted to be. At I'll, su- I'll be surprised if he doesn't. End I'd up be coaching shocked against, too. Yeah. And like uh, at some point, he's got to give back to that 
and he doesn't have to, but like the amount of knowledge he has, and this is kind of where I'm at in my career. It's like there's so much knowledge that he has that so many people would benefit from, and it's a different type of knowledge than the coaches. Yep. And 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 it's it's a knowledge that's way more practical, and and that practicality is missing, especially with these young guys. Is that th- I don't think that they are being taught how to think. Yeah. It's it's more. Like, if you look at college football right now, these young quarterbacks, they don't think. Everybody on the team, I- before the play is called, everybody's looking to the sideline. You're not even sizing up the guy in front of you anymore. You're looking to the sideline, getting your call, and then you turn around and the play goes, and you're not even, there's no more imposing your will on another man anymore. It's like, I just have to do my job. Yep. And, and that might be even a far cry. Yep. Because now you're, you're dis- disconnecting from the game. To me, that what I'm hearing is we're Maddenizing, yeah. not not John Madden, but NFL Madden, Madden NFL the yeah. football game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're turning the real game into Madden. Yeah, right. Which is essentially yeah. what you're describing there. That's exactly what it is, yeah. and they're probably in line with it because they grew up playing Madden, and right? So I just play my position, but I not imposing your will like old school players would have an impact oh. on the game differently totally. because they could impose their will on the right. game. And there's, I would say, there's a handful of those guys in the league right now. Handful. Right. Yeah. And and what happens is you you then take away the decision making ability per play of that individual. And the moment you do that, mm-hmm. then like why are you playing the game? Yeah. And like, is it a game? Yeah. Yep. That's anyway, it's just it, I it's love what you're saying there because I think you're right. There's and there's a the best players have a there's an intelligence like Jordan wasn't was incredible on the yeah. basketball court, but he also had a a high level of, of IQ around how the game is played and understanding and reading defenses and knowing how to show up. That was incredible. Yes. And Peyton Manning, I think phenomenal at it. I think Tom Brady's phenomenal at it. Yeah. I assume Aaron Rodgers is phenomenal I at it, although yeah. I don't know that as much from, yeah. from his play. Right. Maybe he's phenomenal. I just mean, yeah. he, to me, he's in a slightly different class than mm-hmm. those guys. Sure. Fair enough. Um, Breeze, I think. Breeze is was phenomenal. Yeah. And a wonderful human being. Yes. Exactly. Very kind, good dude. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting that you say that. Okay, so so let's go back to your <laughs> so story about the NHL, though. Yeah, I want to yeah, get into so that. So what so did you see coming in? What so adjustments did you make? And there's yeah. some pretty incredible proofs in the pudding there because yeah. I, I wa- what I want to get to is what you're doing now and why. Yeah, so and, and mm, I, I left the NFL. I just want to say this piece because this is an important piece of coming into the, to the NHL. I left the NFL in a place where I did not get an opportunity to course correct some of the mistakes that I had made as a head strength coach in the NFL. And I, 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 I got this, like, if I ever get an opportunity to coach in a pro team again, I'm going to do it my way. And so when I went in, I, I pretty much was like, I'm going to do everything that I want to do and I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to create a culture of, of work, of self care and awareness that I hadn't ever created before. The first interview I had, I got shown around and I was blown away. I walk into the players lounge and they have catered with fast food. (laughs) And I kid you not. And they had, like um, so wild sugar to me. cereals as their snacks. 
and they had candy and junk food. All it was just I was like blown, I was like and you're like and you're wondering why there's so many injuries. Well, and and uh, that that was my first thought, <laughs> and 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 I was like, okay, this is this is like interesting, is what I was saying. And would so you say that was uncommon, or was that pretty was the, norm? the norm? Yeah, yeah. In the NHL, it was the norm. Yeah. Not in, not in the NFL. Not in the NFL. <laughs> I'm just a like, massive Hawks fan. Yeah. Uh, obviously, um, Beast Mode eats his Skittles before right. his games, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and, and then DK is eating candy all of the time. Right. He was yeah. like, and, and and look, I can't tell you how many guys would show up having and, and I, I I the stories I have of guys showing up drunk, ugh, having been out all night, and then they go and fall. It's not sustainable. No, no way. And, and 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 those are the guys that they're just not in the league for very long, and they're relying on pure talent. Pure, yeah. and I say talent. They're relying on their genetic, yeah, fundamental capability. Yeah. And if they would have applied themselves, they'd probably be in the Hall of Fame. I gotta trust that TK is getting himself a coach. That's I gonna, sure hope he is. That guy is amazing. Give like, me a call, TK. Yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> He's so, a physical so specimen of an he's athlete. A specimen. He's he's unbelievable. Like it's I, like God I was like, let me 40. show you, let me show you what the physical human being is. The potential is there. You go. It's I, just incredible I, to watch it, him. It is. And but I like. Hopefully I saw he's him got at the somebody This kid is gonna go. Like, he's special. He's ahead of. Um, he's ahead of uh, Megatron right now. Is that right? Um, on pace, and obviously wow. that's that's insane for yeah, a number of reasons. So so I, I I I'm introduced to this environment, and I'm and I'm and. And the environment is super important to me. Like it's one of the things that I try to control. And and when I say control, that's a really bad word to use, because the the funny thing in pro sports is, they come into the facility and they'll spend anywhere from four hours to eight hours, depending on whether it's off season or in season. And now you have twenty hours to to um, sixteen hours to account for whether it's in season or right. out, out of season. And what do they? And and so how? And account for just to frame frame this. What you're saying is, is is an important as is as an important as it is what you do in the gym. It's more important, more important. what you're doing outside of the gym. It is way more important. Well, and I, so I talk about this as a success principle for people who are who are pursuing growth in business. It's and I'll say this all the time. It's it's it is important what you do from nine to five, yeah. but it's incredibly important what you do between five and nine. What are you doing with that time? So anyway, I'd love for, I'm excited to see what you got to say here because I agree 100%. Yeah, and even from five to nine before, right? Right, like yeah. And, and, and to me, those are the windows of opportunity to get get things right. So how do you influence a pro athlete? So, that, that's that's got to be really hard. Yeah. So More so money than God. is yep. in, in, like He's got all the fame in the world now, and now you're trying to influence him to change his Look, lifestyle. I, I love hockey players because oh, yeah, they're true. salt of the yeah, earth. Yeah, 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 for and sure. And it was, it was like I... I had some experience with with some of the Avalanche because I I did some consulting with one of their coaches early on and got introduced to some of these players and I was like, they're different. They're a different cut. They're a different breed than the NFL players. Yeah. And and they they are just salt of the earth, yep. right? They're they're good human beings. Yep. And so I came in with that like there is a different humility to the NHL and is. I love that as a and, whole. And so I came in. I came in with, with that belief system. I came in with it going, I think I've got that on my side, that, that they're going to be good guys and that they just need to be course corrected. Yep. And so what I came in, but I came in with guns blazing, just so you know. So I came in, the weight room was, for lack of a better word, it was a shit show. <laughs> and, and it was 
only like 2,500 square feet. And it, oh, wow. it looked like a hotel gym that had stuff just laying everywhere. And so the first thing I did, there were like 30 bikes. And, and I, I, I love cycling. I love mountain biking. But I also did not buy into that hockey was an aerobic sport and that their VO2 max was the most important part of hockey. I didn't buy into that. And I did a lot of research before I took this position. Because I, in all intents and purposes, I knew nothing about hockey before I got into hockey. I played a couple years in high school. Um, well, you had mentioned earlier, two minutes is where you start kicking to endurance. Correct. Well, most lines are less than two minutes. Exactly. Right? They're like, so I get what you're saying. So I can, I can kind of do the math it, here and go, I can see where you're coming and from and on so that in level. My, so when I started doing the research, I, I could not find the proof that that I need to spend so much time on a bike. And plus, seated on a bike shortens the, the psoas. Yep. And all these guys had sport hernia issues, growing issues. And yeah, I'm that's like... That's usually an indication. Uh, that would just be continuing to propagate the problem. Yep. So I got rid of all but 10 bikes. I kept 10 bikes because yep. like... I now you got more space to work I with. I had more space to work <laughs> with. Instantaneously had more space. I rearranged the whole weight room because I wanted... Because when they came in, I wanted them to have a visceral. Mm -hmm. Like, oh shit, something's different. Yeah, yeah. Visually see Visual the Visual see it. Yep. Because... I w and what I did is I created a, a open space in the middle of the weight room where I could do floor work sick and and so what ended up happening is the first day they get in there everybody was like what happened what's really what's going on and then they see me and they're like who are you <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like your worst nightmare <laughs> and and so that first day i have this 11 minute routine routine that i i put them through and we go through like maybe 30 minutes of it and then i take them to a field now there's a field a couple blocks down the the street from from the training center and we go to this field, and the f that first day, I'm like, all right, we're going to do 500 yards of lunging. We get 50 yards in, and a couple guys are throwing up. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like. These are professional athletes. These are professional athletes. And 50 I'm, yards worth of lunges, and they're throwing up. And I'm sitting here going mm -hmm. like, this is why you guys are at the bottom of the conference. The bottom. They're at the bottom of the conference. And, and I'm like. I remember. 80 yards in. Everybody seized up. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, guys, back to the back to the weight room. So we go back to the weight I've room. I've seen enough. Yeah. I, I was like, well, we couldn't do any more. Like our, our workout was finished at the time. And here's the, here's this piece of of like the there the awareness component of of the self. Yeah. Of these guys should have been able to self-correct, but they couldn't. Yep. And they they pushed themselves to the point where they seized up. And then I'm like, all right, now I gotta I gotta fix this. And so I'm like, so we spend the next two months of, instead of 30 minutes, we're doing two hours of this 11-minute routine work. And I, I take away all their cleans, the, the Olympic lift of the clean. Mm -hmm. I take away their squats. No more back squats. No more front squats. They don't even have the, they can't even, they don't even have the range of motion. If I make you do this, or I even let you do this, <laughs> yeah, you're, the risk of you're increasing your risk of injury. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm not, not on my watch. <laughs> and so I, I'm like, I lay down the law and I create this boundary of this is what work is. And I'm teaching them how to work. Are they and coming in as a team or as individuals? So, or so small groups or as you know, lines? In, how was that? In, in credit to the GM, he, he pushed the guys. So we didn't get the entire team because we have a lot of Euros and Canadians. Yep. But we got probably 70% of the team, the first two lines. Yep. 
the first two defensemen yep. uh, of lines, and they were there. But some of the other weren't. We we spent half a summer together, and it it was profound. Changed. Yeah. So, so and in the entire time they were complaining, nobody works this hard, and I'm like, that's because you don't know what, how to work. And and our first game. So I, I, I say that. So that that's part of it. So what I ended up doing is I now am catering organic food from a, a local caterer. Yep. I'm working on revamping and recreating the entire uh, like um, players lounge, and and I'm got rid of sugar cereal, sugar snacks, and I'm bringing in different whole supplements, foods. and I'm yep. bringing in the the whole foods, and I'm bringing in. They're they're seeing that I'm investing in them and that I care about them. Yep. And I'm and I'm bringing in, you know, nutritionists and sports psychologists and all these different experts. And at the end of the day, they're like, we don't want to listen to them. We want to listen to you. And I'm like, okay. So now I have to go off and you know start honing my skill in these different areas to to help them as well. People don't care how much you know and they know how much you care. They know how much you care by how much you prepare. Correct. So now they're listening to you because it's obvious that you care about the result. Yeah. So they trust you. And so which propelled you to have to go and continually get better at your craft. Correct. So that you were always on top of your game because they, they wanted to listen to you. And That's I so cool that you had the awareness to know that and to hold yourself responsible and accountable to that. Yeah, and 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 like I and and this goes back to to the beginning of when I even got into this is like I've always been the guy that's in front of me. I'm like, you're the most important person in the world right now to me. And my goal, my job is how can I serve you? How can I help you move the needle today? Not tomorrow, yeah. today. And and my my whole premise about all the work I ever do is I want to make sure that you feel the difference, that you can actually measure your difference by either feeling, by results, by whatever, today. Not tomorrow, hmm. today. And if I can hold the container and hold the space to hold you where I know you can be till you can be that, game over. Like, yeah. you're going to be you're gonna be the best in the world at what you do. And, and I did that with them, and they hated me at the beginning. So how did you get buy-in? I I forced it at first. So okay. so I, I liken I liken these pro athletes to five year olds. Yeah. And what I tell I worked with some six year old, eight year old kids where they didn't know how to work. So you have to create a bumper for them. Like like if if you've ever been to a bowling alley and they put up those <laughs> bumpers for the ball, yep. like that's all I did is I put up these bumpers and anytime anybody came went outside that bumper Man, I would nail them. Yep. Like it was aggressive, and I was I was I was a jerk about it. Like I was not pleasant. Athletes are used to being coached, though, so they probably respond relatively well, well to that. This idea, is why right? they thought I, they, this is why they hated me at first because for the first two months they were everybody was outside these these lines, and I was like I was just like, when is this gonna end? Like how do I? Why do I just have I like I? But I was on like I never let them take an inch, not once. Whereas so, with I was with Raiders, like they would take inches and I'd be like, <laughs> man, it would take me like weeks to reel it in. And I could like, it, it was such a great lesson for me <laughs> to be able to then like, cause I, I came into the Raiders being paid by all these pro athletes to help them. And then when I got to the team, they didn't want to work. Yeah. And I'm like, 
pulling my hair out, going like, "What's wrong?" And and I didn't understand. I didn't understand the dynamic that I was in. The Rager's organization has always had well, an that's inc- a incredible reputation for just stellar uh, performance and professionalism, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and creating a culture <laughs> where the players are in control. And and so that's that that culture is a tough culture to overcome, yeah. right? Whereas when I took over for the Kings, it was more. It wasn't like they were super respectful and they were very relative compl- to what you were used yeah. to. And they were yeah. very compliant until they weren't. Yeah. And then when they came, showed up late, I'm like, that'll be a thousand dollars. And they were like, wait, what, what we're getting charged for, for being late. I'm like, yeah. And you don't get to practice, go home and think about this. And then it's like, then they start showing up on time. And so then, so you said this went on for about two months. two months. So what was the, what was the moment where, you started to get the buy-in. What happened? Like, what was it that you were like, okay, I'm finally getting through to these fuckers? Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to say it, it happened a lot faster. It took time. And unfortunately, it took to the first preseason game. We were in Las Vegas. We played the Avalanche. And and it, it, during this entire time, I'm, I have to, like, I'm working with the medical staff, the coaching staff, the equipment staff, the um, the scouts, the GM and everybody involved to get them to buy into. All right, before every game, I wanna I wanna put these guys through the uh, ten minute warm up, and they're like, oh, no, there's no space. Mm, nope, that doesn't seem right. Mm, no, and I'm just like, I'm doing this all summer. I'm just indoctrinating them. This is what I'm gonna be doing. I need your buy in. I need your commitment. And they're like, mm, no, and so literally, like literally, five minutes before like this ten minute window I had. I, the, the the head coach comes out, Terry Murray, like, you know, he was a visionary. Yep. And he was like, you know what, Tim, I think we should try it. So we did. I do this little routine and, and the guys were pissed. They're like, oh, no, I got my skates on already. I'm like, take them off. We're going out. And so we did it and they felt great. We come out, we're up three, nothing in the first quarter. Boom. And, and the guys are like, Hold they on. come off the ice after the first uh, period. And they're, I said quarter, first period. And they're like, Fuck you, Adams. <laughs> now we have to do this every every game, and now they fi- they finally get it. And and the other piece of that is, I did get some buy in during training camp because during training camp the coach was like, never has ever has he ever seen guys stay down in their position through the entire practice and in their skate through ever in his history of of coaching. Wow. And it and it was attributed to the work that we had done. And so they started seeing the difference. And next thing you know, the next year comes, off season comes in, we have more guys. And now they're not even complaining anymore. They're like, okay, what can we do next? Yeah. And it was this beautiful now uh, place of buy-in. And now... Turns out when you get a result, it tends to... That's the wall. And if you notice on the way in here, but that's one of my guiding lights. Be so good, you can't be ignored. When you get a result, you... you the, the conversation changes and you yeah. and then you don't really have to spend a lot of time arguing anymore right. yeah and it was it was just just this beautiful experience where then now they self-corrected and now it ended up being the players started getting on other players and when we'd bring in a new player they would be indoctrinated by the players and now I didn't have to do any of it beautiful it and that beautiful. that's how you build great yeah. organizations great culture yeah. so so when did you realize in all of this that you had a gift here and that you were operating in something that was, beyond just experience and you obviously have a lot of experience you noted that like some of the things 
he gained through experience. But through our conversation, you know, you started talking about somatic release. Yeah. And I think it's really powerful, and I'd love for you to define what that means for those who don't get it. But as we started this conversation, I really believe we're moving into a time where we're going to integrate spiritual technology with science and really elevate humanity at another level. And it's people like you who know how to operate in those things that I think are going to be on the the front uh, cutting edge of leading and teaching people how to become more body aware, how to take care of their body, manage their body, how to understand the mind-body connection and how to release emotion and pain and trauma so can you talk a little bit about that what happened in that that was you know coming out of the experience with the kings and they they end up winning a stanley cup at the end of all of that they did yeah yeah um wow so i've always been intuitive like funny enough i had a i had a imaginary friend when i was a little kid (laughs) um i have never actually shared that i uh, and 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 i you know, I don't really know what that means except for, the, like, I just know that I was different from that perspective. Like, I was just open to things that... And you grew up in Colorado? Actually, I was born in Indiana. Yep. And so I, my imaginary friend was in Indiana. <laughs> moved to Colorado and, and you know, grew up there and went to the... Academy. How old were you when you... Nine years old so when I moved. So Indiana till nine, then you yep. moved to Colorado. I was in Colorado through college. And did you know, at what point did you decide you wanted to go to the Air Force Academy? Because that's, it's hard to get into the Air yeah. Force Academy, right? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. A, that's a pretty amazing feat. So my I, arrogance here, um, I wanted to play Division One college football. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to play for CU, mm-hmm. but I didn't get recruited by CU. And I got recru- I recruited... And I had been accepted in a couple of Division two, Division three schools, but I was like really hell bent on playing for Division one college team. So you use the Buffaloes, right? The Buffaloes, yeah, yeah. in Boulder. And yep. um, so th- through the whole fall, like we went to the state championship in my football team, and I was an all state football player, and um, had been talking to the academy through that process uh, for about a year now. I my test scores weren't good enough, so I didn't get into the academy straight away. So over Christmas, I went I went to the prep school. Mm. So I got I got accepted into the prep school uh, over Christmas time frame, and um, and that's when I was like, okay, I'm I'm going all in on this, and you know started training differently and and whatnot, and I had a great first year of football. It, it, what position did you play? I was a running back. Well, okay. I was actually an all-state linebacker, believe it or not. I was at a small school, but I, I was a decent running back, but not a great running back. I, I'd rather hit somebody than get hit. Yep. And so <laughs> I, it's not a good so equation you're looking for, not for, for a running, running back. back. But I was a great blocking back for the for the wishbone <laughs> for the academy. I was a great blocking back. And um, <laughs> anyway, um, I got I, sorry, I got I got off track here. So I uh, trying to understand where I was. On I'll what get I'm you back there. Marshawn Lynch liked to hit things too. It did pretty well for him. But most running backs, <laughs> you want them to avoid the hit. Seahawks yeah, like right? those kind of running backs though. Yeah. They just don't last very long. No, don't uh, last long at all. But just um, getting into why you oh, ended up at the, in- the, yeah, up at the, the Air Force this, Academy this in the thing. process. So, well, the, my whole point of all this is that like, I, had, I had this gift of intuition yep. that I, I used but I didn't use. I didn't trust it. And I didn't really know what to do with it, quite honestly. And why didn't you trust it? Um, 
I think a lot of people go through this, right? Where yeah. they have they have they come in with a set of gifts, and they they turn them off at yeah. really really early. Because everybody else was talking about logic, was talking about analytics, was talking yep. about you know decision making, and 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 I felt like an outsider because mm-hmm. I was just like I was was the quiet kid. I didn't talk much, but I was always put into the leadership role. And it was really because of, I don't even know why, quite honestly. Like, I, I don't know why. But, you know, my first year of football, I was a captain. Had no idea why. I was a captain of our team on defense and and <laughs> and in high school. And, and, and I d- again, I, do, I don't necessarily know why. But w- what I do know is that, every, that when I trusted my intuition great things happened but when i spoke of my intuition people got all weird about it and i and so now so now this this is the reason why i didn't trust my intuition is i grew up in lack yep and so um i was hungry for appreciation i was hungry for love i was hungry for people to acknowledge me and i was hungry to be part of something and and Enough that you are willing to subvert or divert your own personal identity in order to feel like you belonged. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and the funny piece of it is that my skill set of of this breadth and depth and density of knowledge around performance came from this quest to be appreciated by my clients. And so I I I learned speed because I wanted my client to like I wanted to help my client, but I wanted him to need me. Mm. Like th- that, it sounds sick, and it is sick. Uh, but, but I understand. But, I understand what you mean. But I, I, I thought that if, if they would appreciate me more, and I had these skills, that well, they would have to use me because they would need me. And it, it was six like, human needs psychology will say you're looking for significance and probably love and connection. Absolutely right. And I so it's important that you're good at your craft enough that. You'll feel needed. That is obviously a double-edged sword, however. But and, and the funny thing is, for 46 years of my life, I traveled the world studying under the best, and I got exceptional at what I do. Like, like when I tell people the results I can get somebody, like, it borderlines not believable. And, and I'm, like, okay with that. And it, but at the same time, it's, it, it gets to be this challenge of, like, what do I tell people that I do? And because I, I have all of these things that I could play in, all these sandboxes that I can play in that, that I've had the great opportunity to play in. But w- the point at which I really understood this was when I lost everything. So I was 46 years old, and, and I'm still in lack. I'm still a shell of a man. But I'm creating great results for my clients <laughs> because I'm feeding off of yep. their appreciation. Yep. And... And then, funny enough, I'm I'm um, in this space where right becomes wrong, wrong becomes right. I make some bad decisions. I have an affair. I lose everything. Like literally, I lose everything. Money. Almost everybody has this story. I love getting to it. almost every one of my guests <laughs> gets to this point in the story because this is it's an well, um, and, and you know the funny thing is, I, I at the time I begged God to take it away from me mm-hmm. because I couldn't. I like I was curled up in a ball. I'm like I lost all my friends. My dad died. My best friend died. Like people were di- disappearing. Like mm. I, I've, I, I've always been uh, someone who 
like has deep friendship, or at least that's what I thought. That's what I bought into. And and these guys that I thought were going to be my pallbearers, one by one, choo, 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 mm. bailed. And like when I had nothing to give them, they were like I was useless. And I was like, what does that say about me? <laughs> so so much. So you identified. I would frame this for the listeners. You identified yourself as a giver. Oh, big time. Right? And your identity becomes around giving. Yes. The problem with with givers is that if they identify as the giver, they don't allow other people to give. Or it's very hard for other givers to show up in their life because I play the role of giver. And they can become incredibly protective of that yep. because, as we talked about early, their identity is tied to it. So if I'm not a giver, who am I? So if I'm the giver, you can't be the giver. And I'm using an old school reference, but it's like the Highlander. There can only be one in a social circle. What ends up happening, and I think as you're narrating here, is you end up inviting takers. And they love you. They adore you because you are constantly feeding them. The problem is you'll become a martyr to your social circle. And then in the time when you need someone to be there for you, no one is there. Because... They don't even know how to be there for you. Like, yeah. hey, listen, like I signed up to be the taker here. I don't know how to be the giver. Yeah. And so it can be very hard. And then also what happens with the givers is they get alone. They get lonely. Yep. They feel lost in that world. And so then they go out looking for more. Yep. And that's how they find themselves doing things that become very destructive yep. to themselves and others. It's seeking for more, yep. right? That validation, that significance, the hole that they keep feeling and it very often comes only when everything is stripped away that we get to see who we really are. Um, and I could tell just from talking with you, you've already done the work here, and yeah. it's integrated, right? So yeah. you have a lot of gratitude for Thank that, you. not pain. Yeah. Um, beautiful. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that's Man, that piece. The amount of times I've heard people say right? this. And like I, I would not be here today had I not gone through that. And yeah. so I'm so grateful for those missteps. And and I, I joke all the time, it's like, I have had, and, and I've had people say, man, what a shit show your life has been. <laughs> and I'm like, fucking right. <laughs> and, and, and I'm grateful for it because it's given me distinction. What? Now I can see the bullshit that you're doing. Yep. I did that. I'm yep. like, call you out on that easily because yep. I did it. Yep. And I'm like, there's no judgment in it. No. I just know exactly where you're at. And now you can help them. And if you don't course correct, I know where you're going. Yep. <laughs> So you have a choice. You can learn by pain or you can learn by wisdom. Your choice. Yeah. So with you. It, at, it was at that moment that I was opening these doors that I was afraid I'd never wake up again. Like I thought I was literally going to die. Yeah. And, and I opened those doors. Well, there is a death. There's a death of an identity that identity happens in death. that, right? Yeah, and so that does out. feel like yeah. viscerally can feel like a physical death. And it was at the moment I opened those doors and that identity died of me and I... I really stepped down into this space of unearthing me Yeah, that I, I realized that I'd been forsaken a lot of these gifts that I had. And, and then I, and in, in the course of, I did some plant medicine shortly after that too, mm-hmm. that it became very clear that, that my path was one of healing. Yeah. And What'd you do? Ayahuasca? Or what'd you I, do? Di- I, I did it. <laughs> I did way more. Th- I did ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Yes, my first introduction was five MeO DMT, and then yep. 
My second was ayahuasca. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to I'm just take my time with psychedelics. 5-MeO <laughs> is like you're just jumping into the deep end of the pool. Like, well, hey, so let's just see how intense this can get, yeah. how quickly it can get I, there. I At that point, I had never done a drug in my yeah. life. I'd never smoked. And so the this was in Guatemala, and it was ceremonial. And that's the only way yeah. I would ever do plant so you, medicine. So you did bufo. I did bufo. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I had to smoke it. In a bong, mm -hmm. the five meo, mm -hmm. and then the bufo in a crack pipe. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, I had no idea I would even be able to get something because I was like, I I've never smoked. So for those listening, I'm not a doctor. I play on the internet. Five meo is literally the most potent psychedelic on the face of the earth. I think yeah. currently, um, it's intense. So yeah. to, to jump in, yeah. so why don't we try some psilocybin to start? Now I'll yeah. just jump into jump the right deep in. end of the pool. Yeah. Yeah, in, in, in context, to give some context to this, I was I was in Guatemala because I'm there to talk to this medicine man about microdosing for an event I'm doing in Guatemala, yep. like in a couple months. Yep, microdosing LSD? Uh, no, it would have been psilocybin, psilocybin. and yep. some other um, components. But in that, uh, he he then, I spent three hours with him talking about microdosing. I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds great. And he goes, hey, I, I'm doing a ceremony tomorrow with 5-MeO-DMT. You want to do it? I'm like, I have no idea what that is. He goes, you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. But, but I was open. I, I was actually, I was being called yeah. to, to this world. And, um, and I, I, I jumped in. I, you know, ironically enough, I normally do a tremendous amount of research before I do anything. Yep. And, and three hours wasn't enough, but there was this calling and I trusted my intuition yeah. and I did it. Yep. And then the moment I was finished, I was like, holy shit, I think I, I, I might have permanent brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, had to, then I go back into a tremendous amount of research. And then I was like, and then I was like, holy smokes, I'm in this beautiful space of yeah. like epigenetic expression and yep. neuroplasticity. Yep. And I'm going to, I get an opportunity to choose to change my life instantaneously. Yeah. And I did. And it was, so it was unbelievable now to then take my years of processing that I had done up to that point and then to be able to, and, and I think this is really critical. Like, I think it is hypercritical for you to have this ability to process. And your ability to process then will, will have a direct impact on your ability to receive during a ceremony. 100%. And, and I think it's the greatest mistake people make in ceremonies. Well, fact of doing plant medicine, because if you're doing it in a backyard, like, you're asking for problems. And, and I think what you do before, more important the than the ceremony The preparation the dieta itself. and then the, the process afterwards. Yeah. I agree with you. And I, I'm a huge fan of the plant medicine space. And, yeah. and I've seen so many people get tremendous breakthrough in their life. Yeah. My concern with it is, in most things, there are seekers yep. who come in well. looking for the experience, but then have no interest in actually doing the work or integrating. Yep. And then that isn't that isn't helpful for you, and it's a poor example, right? It's if you if you're doing it to get the work done, yeah. and it, I don't know, have yet to see anyone who's literally physically been addicted to psychedelics because it's not really how they work. But if you yeah. have a different, me, I'd love to hear it. But people do get addicted to chasing experience yes. and looking for God yes. in psychedelics, Absolutely. which for me, psychedelics can help you heal, can help you integrate and get whole. But hopefully, it pulls you back to I don't need this yeah. in order to see God. To communicate with God, but it reminds you that He's always there. She's always there. Absolutely. You know, whatever your frame uh, yeah, is. Absolutely. So, um, but I love that you did that. Yeah. I'm somehow I'm not surprised. Yeah. I thought that story was coming yeah. too. And five meo is, 
as well. I had a very similar uh, experience where it was out of intuition. I didn't do a lot of research. I did it. It was incredible. I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but I had a very positive experience with it. Yeah, that's amazing. And but it was it was the turning point for me of trusting my intuition. Yeah. Because it was like I knew I was supposed to do it. I knew I was called there for that reason, and I I I actually accepted it. And it was the first time in my in my adult life that I accepted my intuition. And and from that mm. moment forward, I now guard it and I I am I'm vigilant about not only protecting it, but cultivating it, yep. curating what it. What do you do for those who are listening? Because I think, I think I said this um, multiple times uh, through quantum when we were talking about yeah. this, but my first instruction for someone is always to learn to listen to their voice first, yeah. right? And if, if you go to a spiritual teacher, whether it be a pastor or a spiritual reader or a psychic or, or whoever, if they tell you something <coughs> that is not in alignment energetically with what you hold to be true or what you think you should do. I always get asked about that. I would say, listen to yourself first. Otherwise, you're training yourself to get advice, to trust something outside of yourself, right? Which doesn't mean you're always right because you may very well get great advice from somebody. Yeah. You're just not ready to hear it. Yeah. Well, you're going to discover that through listening to your own voice if you seek truth and you're in awareness, right? But you want to learn how to trust your own intuition first. Yeah. To me, that's core. core. Teaching people how to be free is learn how to listen to this voice first. Yeah. Then it's easy to hear and, and, have, and be in community of people who are speaking truth. But if you don't get this right, everything else gets trickier. Amen to that. So, so to me, there's a distinction in that. And, and, and again, this is, this is funny. Like this is the many roads to Rome, right? I think there's a lot of ways to get awareness. For me, because of my background, it's like through the body. I, I do this ground up, inside out approach. And for me, the voice is the collective consciousness of my body speaking yeah. to me from a sensory acuity perspective. And this is where like it's incredible. I, I take my clients and it's like my goal is to get them to drop back into their body yeah. and have a relationship with their body yeah. so that they can listen mm. to their body because that is where... The gold is that is where the universe, God, source, whatever you want to be called, is speaking to you moment by moment. And when we tap into our body, that gives us the greatest opportunity to 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 really be the antenna to what is present in this now moment, which then allows us to to make better decisions and work and operate in this place of ease and effortlessness and flow. And and that is the thing that like I. Like, that's the thing I, I fight for. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and you, I, I look at the body like a, like a vehicle, mm. right? And a vehicle has lights in it, indicator yep. lights, that's yep. trying to tell you something. Yes. And a lot of us, it's like the, I won't pick on a, it's like the person who's driving on, uh, needs to change oil, right? Yeah. And the oil light's on the entire time. <laughs> and then the car seizes up one day, and they're like, what happened to my car? Like, right. well, how long has that light been on? Right. Like, ah, as long as I can remember. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. Your body's kind of like that. It's mm -hmm. trying to communicate with you. It's trying to tell you things. We're just not listening. Exactly. Um, so what, what would you say? Uh, you're going to make a comment? I, I was, and, and I just want to share this. Like, go back to me being the measurable yep. for my clients. I wasn't the measurable for myself. Yeah. And, and what allows you to be the measurable for yourself is now, instead of focusing on external feedback mechanisms, the... the 
the Fitbit, the Aura Ring, the the Whoop, the ResMed sleep device, whatever, is to start listening to yourself. Yeah. And getting clear on what is your body trying to tell you? Because your body doesn't lie. Like it if it has a connected message. to it, it will tell you. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of QS devices. I use Aura. Yep. I use my yeah, yeah. my ring. But for me it's like one of the things I started doing was guessing my score and before where it, before good. looking at it Great. so that I could get that feedback without needing well the device. Well played. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the key because what most people do is they they outsource their ability to do it to the device. And yeah. now they become detached again, again. where they needing a exactly. external device to tell them, and you know, I'm gonna have a good day or I'm gonna have a bad day right. based on and, and that's why like to me the, all those devices are based on an algorithm. And that algorithm isn't it, 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 that algorithm has been normalized to a population, not totally. to you. Totally. And so so you might your numbers just might be skewed enough to where they're really not accurate. And so it, it may not be a great indicator where you really are at today. And this is why like you have to listen. You have to create that relationship with yourself so that you become that measurable for yourself, 100%. right? Yeah, and I think that, and for me at least, I'm say I wouldn't say that QS isn't important with quantified self, right? Yeah. Using devices to uh, do it, because even if it is a uh, an algo that's based on a larger population of people, just the fact that you start measuring something is going to help you become more body aware, right? With, with yes and no, but yes, like I'm I love those devices. I'm a huge fan of those devices. I'm I'm I think it's critical to the point where you're utilizing it to be able to get more confirmation, confirmation. of what you are it, actually feeling. And here would be the application. Maybe your score is low. Oh, your readiness score is low, but you feel great. Yep. Pay attention to how you feel more than the score. Correct. The opposite. Score says your readiness is fantastic, and you're like, I don't feel fantastic. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to what your body is saying more Correct. than the device well right said. get get yeah. connected to who you are but use it these are all tools yeah. until they become your master don't exactly. let them become your master let them be tools that are yeah. more for confirmation like we were just talking about and, and, and that what you just said you know don't let them become your master that goes with everything everything <laughs> everything yeah, outside of yourself yeah exactly <laughs> and even even within yourself <laughs> yeah. because you can make your ego your master reality is it's like hmm. what what's serving you the best right now so so couple of things, somebody who, to get them back in their body. I, yeah. One of my favorite things to do, and I take clients through, which is pretty simple, is yoga. Yep. Right, yoga. Yeah. I have uh, men and women, like, literally start tearing up and have somatic release yep. and emotional release exactly. in their body yep. through yoga because it's connecting mind and body. Absolutely. What things would you, somebody who is kind of resonating what you're saying here and wanting to get back into their body, what, what practices or tools could they use to do that? That's yeah. anybody could do. Um. I, I, I'm going to say this just real quick. I've got this 11-minute routine that activates the joints, activate the muscles, and activates the nervous system. That process of attuning yourself to the different parts of your body helps you bring you back to the body. Now, you Do don't you have, have it online? Is it recorded? It, it's anywhere? online, yeah. Can you find it on YouTube? Uh, not on YouTube yet. Uh, we'll I, we'll I, post links that. to wherever yeah. it's at so people who are interested, they can go find your, your video. Sure. Um, but, but, but the point being is, if you start to think about that process, I think of it as a triangle, right? The, the skeletal system, the muscular system, and the nervous system. If you think about what all three of those systems do, it's movement. Yep. And for me, 
any movement, whether it's walking, whether it's running, whether it's swimming, whether it's hiking, whether it's cycling, whatever it is, if you can start to get back into movement, but when you do the movement, you attune yourself back into your body. And this is where I'm a big, like, and I want to be really clear, if you go to the gym and you see me at a gym and I'm on a bike and I'm reading a book, I'm not working out. I want to be really clear about that. That like that is not a workout for me. I don't understand that, how people do that. It, it is. I'm. I, and I'm not. Wor- I'm not riding a bike to work out. I'm. I'm riding a bike to keep your body physically increase the blood flow <laughs> to my brain so that whatever I read, I retain. Well, there's good science to that too. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm, I'm with doing you that. on that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. When I'm in the gym working out and moving my body, that is all I'm doing. Yeah. I'm not trying to listen to an audio book or a podcast. I'm like, how do you do that? I cannot. Well, it's not. And and for me, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because you are not focused on what the intent of the movement is. Yeah. And, and like when you're focused on the movement, that's the fastest way to get back into your body. And I have found in my own experience, especially in weightlifting, if I focus on very specifically the muscle I'm trying to isolate in the movement, I get a much better pump and a much better workout. Just by Absolutely. just by visualizing or yep. feeling physically, okay, I'm working out my my pecs, my pectoral muscles, yep. or my lats, or my glutes. And like, right, if I'm doing deadlifts and I'm trying to focus on my glutes and my hammies, it's like, well, I will literally focus on those muscle groups yep. to make sure they're the ones feeling the load, not my lower back. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to get into semantics here. But there's this piece of high-intensity training that is such a misnomer because if you really want to be attuned to what you're doing, if you load your body up with weight, you like it's an impossibility to not be focused on what you're doing. <laughs> like, that's been my experience. <laughs> so, so like, and that's why I like higher-intensity work for multiple reasons. One, because of focus and your attention. And two because of the biochemical response yes. that occurs to the body in yep. that space and the neurological response that it happens. So not only do you create more vitality, you create more virility, but you create vigor in it. And when you can combine those together, you can become unstoppable yeah. from that perspective. That's been my experience. I've been doing it for 10 years, and I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. It's for, for health reasons. So, so who, at this point in your career... Who are you serving? What are you focusing on? And and who is a good candidate for your kind of services? Yeah, so I... I'm just wrapping it up here, but I want to add just a few points here at the end. This has been fantastic. Yeah, no, thank you. This has been a a treat. Um, I I have professional athletes that I work with. I have um, executives that I work with. Who comes to you? Normally, what what are they looking for? So the only people that come to me are referred. Like mm-hmm. for my one-on-one, like you only can be like work with me if you get referred. And so it would but be, what are they looking for? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, uh, uh, there's a mix. I have people that come to me to try to get out of pain. I mm-hmm. have people that come to me that are looking to become unburdened mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. I have people that come to me for leadership, but they want to become better leaders. I have people that come to me because they want more capacity to be able to work either longer for har- harder and longer, or they want to be able to do more in less time. That would be kind of the crux of the people that come to me. So, so like ser- searching for that 1%, if you would, and quite honestly with the people I work with, I'd say it's really like 0.1% or 0.01%, like that 
that little bit extra because they know that there's more. Yep. And they want more. Yep. They just don't quite know how to get it, and and they re- th- they're aware enough to understand that they're doing all these great things, but they're still not operating at the level that they really truly know is possible. Yep. Um. So from a one-on-one perspective, I'd say that's that's who I work with. I. I have this group of people that I work with that are aspiring to be that level. And that would be more of a group setting, if you will. Um, I think that answered your question. I think yep. I'm missing something, but. Well, it, where could people find oh, you? Where find me? Um, probably the easiest way would be social media, Instagram, Coach Tim Adams, hashtag Coach Tim Adams. Um, my website's CoachTimAdams.com. Um, Pretty much, Coach Tim Adams. You could probably find me in most places. Um, and I, the the reality is, I, I am just stepping into creating a a, a platform. I've literally yep. been the offline because you're secret. yeah, because your niches have been yeah. fifteen hundred people, right. which makes sense. And this is, I was really ex- excited to get you on um, because I've seen this more and more places where people have become highly specialized have served a small group of people and now are bringing their gifts to the world and yeah. opening it up right. for more people. Yeah. And there's more there's more connection and proximity and power, right? Like right. You, you get those things connected, and I think there's a work that's being done here. So this has been a joy. We will have another, uh, another chat. Yeah. There's a lot of other questions. We could probably go on for another hour easy. Um, really enjoyed this conversation, yeah, so and uh, I look forward to having you on again.